This is Inspiring Minds, a podcast focused on thought-provoking conversations between BSB students and our world-class faculty. My name is Alice Key. I'm a member of the Villanova School of Business class of 2023, studying marketing and international business. I am really excited to be here today with one of my former professors, Dr. Jonathan Doe. Before we dive into your research, Dr. Doe, would you like to give us some background on why you're interested in studying business sustainability and how exactly you got into that? Sure, Alice. First of all, great to be with you. It's always nice to get back together with one of my very best students from the past, recent past. So um, I've been interested in the intersection of corporate strategy and sustainability for a number of years. You know, we used to kind of term this corporate social responsibility, but I think sustainability is is a more accurate, more holistic uh, uh, way to refer to it. Where this all kind of coalesced for me was in, in my studies of the collaboration among public, private, and not-for-profit organizations who have come together to address what some are calling grand societal challenges. And certainly climate change is is one of those. Um, And in recognizing the power of this kind of collaboration between public, private, and not-for-profit, in the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals, the 17th goal is, is called the Partnership for the Goal. So it's all about how we can work together to address these problems. So that's kind of how I came to my my interest in business sustainability. Could you give us kind of like a brief industry overview of maybe what are some of the ways that organizations are currently addressing? uh, How are they currently addressing climate change and how effective their efforts may be? Sure. I should first say that I I don't think that private sector actors alone are the source of the solution to climate change, either mitigation or adaptation. Governments will always be front and center. And so one of the ways that governments can stimulate activity is around providing incentives or encouragement to the private sector to make decisions that they might not otherwise make. And I think a recent example is in the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, where there are specific incentives, both on the production side and on the consumption side, to move industries towards more renewable energy sources, you know, such as tax rebates for the purchase of electric cars. Now, on the other side, in the not-for-profit side, organizations like the Nature Conservancy, where my my wife worked and you interned previously, um, Alice, are working with governments and private investors to arrange various innovative financial uh, instruments to try to encourage protection of land and water. And sometimes these are termed debt-for-nature swaps, where developing countries that have debt obligations are relieved of some of those obligations if they they agree to preserve uh, certain regions. Uh, or sometimes called green or blue bonds, bonds that are issued specifically to protect air, water, uh, or or other environmental uh, sensitive areas. So I think all organizations have uh, have a role here. And as I said a moment ago, I think collaboration between them and among them is especially powerful. And I, and I know you mentioned the, the term climate adaptation in your initial answer. Could you kind of explain to us what is climate adaptation and why is it as important as perhaps mitigation? Yeah, so climate adaptation, which has not gotten the same attention that mitigation has, are adjustments or changes that we make in natural or human systems to respond to actual or expected future climate stimuli, uh, in in, in particular climate events of which we've been experiencing many. And it's important because even if we achieve this net stabilization of the global temperature of of 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, there's already a pretty long transition to where where we hopefully get there. And we are feeling the effects of climate change, you know, every day now, whether it's in the form of of droughts or associated wildfires 
climate events, tornadoes, rainstorms, uh, all hurricanes. And one of the things that we see for sure is more variability and intensity of climate events. They're being felt at a, at a greater and more amplified level. And so we need to take steps now to help protect human and natural systems from the effects of climate change and adaptation strategies are the way that we do that. Protecting and propagating coastal flora, plants, in order to prevent erosion and prevent flooding or limit flooding and moderate some of these extreme events. And, and a lot of this is going on around the world. On the other side of the equation, we think about innovations. Uh, some companies are working on software like GIS, Geographic Information Systems-based software that can better anticipate these climate events and help communities protect against them. So sometimes it's natural infrastructure like plants, would be physical infrastructure like levees, or it could be services, software services to try to help regions and countries um, uh, mitigate or lessen the uh, impacts of climate change. You have explored patents as, as one of those innovations. And I know in one of your articles, you explored how firms headquartered in countries with high climate impacts are more likely to invest. Could you explain why patents are a particularly attractive option for investment? There's a theory, and it's pretty straightforward, called the attention-based view, and essentially argues that managers, all of us, are bombarded with all kinds of information and stimuli, much of which we tune out. And unfortunately, many around the world have kind of tuned out the story about climate change, thinking it's something in the future that we don't have to worry about, or it's not going to immediately affect us. But if you happen to be in a part of the world where you're experiencing climate events, especially on a persistence basis, you sort of wake up to the reality that it is not something in the future, and it's not something halfway across the world. It's something that it's on my doorstep, and it's here and now. And on the margin, we suggest that would prompt managers to think about making investments, investments in innovation to help mitigate, uh, to help uh, adapt to those, those challenges. And patents are important because essentially they say that if I'm going to make that investment in this climate change adaptation innovation, that I'm going to reap the rewards. I'm going to be able to benefit, have economic benefits from those investments, and I'm going to be able to retain them for some period of time. And so given the uncertainty around climate change and climate change adaptation, um, knowing that an investment is going to be protected and that the payoff will be uh, extended for some period of time gives the, the in investor a little bit more assurance that it's, it's worth, worth taking, that, taking that step. Obviously, one of the huge challenges just in general with corporate social responsibility is, you know, how you incentivize companies to, you know, really hold that triple bottom line in terms of convincing them that climate investments will benefit them long run financially speaking but i i suppose patents are one of those more one of those more immediate ways or of investing into climate change per se that Precisely. you can Precisely. see those tangible rewards absolutely you talk about you know those formal and informal institutional qualities and their impacts on climate change adaptation and how proactive or reactive these these organizations might be. Can you break down those concepts for us? Formal institutions are things like laws, policies, regulations, typically issued by government. So typically government policies that have some impact, in this case, on business activity. Informal institutions are things like norms, practices, political beliefs, or in our case, societal preferences around an issue or problem or challenge. So we argue and we find support for the fact that formal institutional quality in the form of intellectual property protection 
an informal institutional activity in the form of greater numbers of environmental NGOs as a reflection of societal support for environmental conservation. Both of these things amplify the connection between climate impact and climate adaptation innovation. So let me kind of put this in a more practical sense. If you're a company in a country where the government says, we're gonna protect intellectual property if you invest in it, that's gonna be a stimulus to, 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 to cause the company to say, well, okay, I'm, if I invest in an innovation like climate change adaptation, uh, innovation patent, then, then that's going to be uh, protected. The government's going to kind of guarantee that it's not going to be ripped off by a competitor or somebody else. But more broadly, if, if the company is situated in a country where there's a strong environmental movement and there's a lot of attention paid to the, the, the concerns around environmental conservation and climate change, well, that's going to be another stimuli to prompt that company maybe to go above and beyond in its climate change innovation activities. So the combination of these two things amplifies or exacerbates the tendency of companies to want to invest in climate change adaptation innovation if they are in a, in a region that's experiencing these climate impacts, like floods would be an example of a climate impact. Do you see a relationship between civic society and civil movements in response to climate change in certain geographies having a relationship to formal institutional qualities? So here's the thing. These connections are not occurring independently. So the same climate events that are prompting firms to invest in climate change adaptation innovations are the very things that are prompting people to protest in the street, to perhaps have boycotts or other kinds of actions to call attention to climate change. But what we're saying is there's a cumulative effect, right? So it's if we have one in addition to another, in addition to another, it has this particularly salient and, and profound impact. Um, but you're right, you're exactly right. Those the, the civil society is responding to the same climate, climate events that companies are. And governments perhaps making sure that they're going to protect those investments through intellectual property protection, uh, also being being uh, affected by the, the climate events. So they're, they're connected, but they're also additive and cumulative. Based off of all of these factors, what can policymakers and business leaders learn from your research? Yeah, so it's it's the case that not all business school research always has direct practical or policy impacts, but we, we hope that this research does. So one very straightforward um, implication for policymakers would be if they are interested in cultivating firms and innovations that address climate change, they should provide adequate intellectual property protection to ensure that those firms are going to reap the economic benefits and rewards from those investments. More broadly, countries that allow for a robust and active civil society and allow that civil society to express itself in multiple ways, in this case, uh, individuals and, and, and NGOs that are concerned about environmental challenges, that that can have a positive impact on businesses' tendency to uh, facilitate this green energy transition and other kinds of climate adaptation and mitigation activities. And I mention this because there are parts of the world where governments do not allow for free and open civil society. They restrict and constrain the ability of individuals to come together and express their concerns about policy issues and challenges. And those are societies that in my view are not contributing as positively to address these, these grand challenges that I referred to earlier on as they might. What can we be doing to bring attentions to light uh, 
in our local or federal governments. Civic activity sometimes gets a bad rap because many of us maybe don't feel like our politicians are listening or we're, we're being um, taken seriously. But but I, I, I think the democratic system can be extraordinarily effective when it comes to these kinds of things. I myself was a supporter of the Inflation Reduction Act. I think it has the potential to make really meaningful change in terms of the ability of the U.S. to meet our climate change goals. And it, it can help facilitate and stimulate activity in the private sector at times when the private sector may, may view this activity as a little bit too risky. Bringing together the resources and the capabilities and, and the commitments of governments and, and private sector and individuals, either individually or collectively as part of a broader civil society, is all part of the answer to, to things like, like climate change, which is a formidable challenge. I don't mean to suggest that it's not. Um, but I hope that whoever's listening here thinks about his or her role, even in a very small way, in writing a letter to a member of Congress or attending a, a meeting or, or working for a company that has a, a positive commitment to social responsibility and sustainability. So what is next? What do you seeing the next big move in corporate strategy for sustainability, either for the world or maybe just for your research specifically? You know, one of the debates that we have, um, those of us who study and work in the area of sustainability, corporate social responsibility is what can an individual company do versus what can a collective of companies do? And I've come to the conclusion that individual companies can't really do that much that it's only through this kind of competitive dynamic of companies coming together and making a broad-based commitment across an industry or across a geography, I think that's when, when companies can have the biggest impact. It also avoids a free rider problem because if one company steps up and says it's gonna invest significant resources in a sustainability strategy and others decide not to do so, the, 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 the focal company could be at a competitive disadvantage so having groups of companies working together in making these commitments across industries and geographies, I think, is, is, is key. For me, um, I mentioned earlier sort of this debate or discussion about, you know, whether and how does business school research or academic research more broadly, you know, have real world societal impact. Um, this is an important debate and one that I have been very active in. Um, I'm part of the Societal Impact Advisory Committee of one of the leading international business journals. I've co-authored some editorials and other articles about how management scholars can have greater societal impact. And I'm giving you know, talks around the world on this topic because I believe very passionate, passionately in it. Um, and my plan is to continue that work because I, I believe strongly that we all you know, have a responsibility to contribute to you know, positive change in this world, as, as naive as that may sound. <laughs> and this is the way that I think I can be most effective above and beyond what I'm doing in the classroom. I have so much admiration admiration for you in terms of trying to inspire the next generation of hopefully business leaders to take that extra step in consideration and making a positive impact in whatever their future career might be. Well, what, let me let me ask you this, Alice, if I could just turn the table for a final, final question and ask you, what are your aspirations and, and how important is, is the corporate social responsibility and sustainability as you look at future employers in your professional development and career? I think as someone who is really just now entering the job market, my generation is really looking for employers that are holding themselves accountable, going above and beyond, not just, you know, 
publishing on their website, oh, we stand for XYZ value, sustainability included. I'm very proud that the rest of my generation also, I think most of the rest of my generation is also making these considerations. Um, and I'm really looking forward to the impact that my generation is going to make in the future, especially when we get into those leadership positions and are in and have the ability to impact those those large decisions. I am very if you're if you have admiration for me, I have I am inspired by what you shared with me here. Alice. So thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Doe, for your time today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I hope our listeners did too. And I look forward to seeing your future research and where corporate strategy and sustainability might take us in the future. Fantastic. My pleasure, Alice. Thank you for listening to Inspiring Minds. Stay tuned for our next installment featuring more VSB students discussing research topics with our world-class faculty. 